This is a new beginning for our church uh, with three services, and, uh, and it's important that we see that. Uh, it uh, enables more people to come and hear the Word of God. Uh, but more importantly, it, and just as importantly, uh, it's to strengthen the base so that we can plant churches and send out people who will plant churches. Um, this week is a new beginning, but last week was a great foundation for that beginning. I loved uh, hearing from some of our missionaries who were church planters. I loved hearing from uh, Brooks Buser talk about the priority of church planning uh, and also the emphasis that he had on we the church sending out those that will plant churches. And uh, I've been to a lot of uh, missionary conferences, and I never heard that emphasis uh, placed so strongly upon us. Um, also loved hearing about Brooks Buser planning a church in Papua New Guinea um, and learning the language and uh, teaching the people to read and, and then uh, uh, going through uh, the book of the, uh, the Bible, starting with Genesis 1, um, and then teaching on the promised seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15. And then he continued going on through uh, the Bible as he went. And, and each generation, the people would say, is this the one? And I like that emphasis that uh, they were looking for a Savior, just like everybody else was looking for a Savior. And then, of course, he got to the end, and he showed them that Jesus Christ was the Savior. Um, and then the church was um, planted um, and they began to grow. And he didn't just plant a church, but he told us that he goes back frequently uh, and spends time with them to see how, how they're doing. And that's the pattern that we see in the New Testament. Uh, it's the same pattern where churches are planted, but those who planted the churches would go back and see how they're doing and encourage them and, uh, and would write to them. And uh, the Apostle Paul went out and planted churches and followed up with them. And by returning to the church plants and by writing, uh, writing to them with uh, instructions, uh, after the Gospels, a large part of the New Testament is about planted churches and the messages to those churches. Paul went on three recorded missionary journeys, preaching the gospel and planting churches. The sending church was the church at Antioch, uh, and that was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And before they went out, Paul and Barnabas, for one year, uh, taught the people in that sending church. And then Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the church at Antioch by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to show you the three missionary journeys just real briefly. This is a, the first one. You can see the, where the star is. Uh, that's uh, the planting church. It goes, uh, and all three missionary journeys uh, go out from that uh, starting church. The first, um, first missionary journey uh, was a shorter one. Uh, I'm... 
My mouth is getting a little dry. Somebody get me a glass of water. I'd appreciate it. Um, uh, it, it was a shorter one. It's like a, a trial run. And, uh, and you can see that they went uh, part, partly into Galatia and then came back to the city of Antioch and reported on their progress. And then the second missionary journey, you can see, went a little bit further. And uh, we'll uh, go through that in just a second. And then here's the third missionary journey, which was uh, probably about a A.D. 52 to 56. And I put a star by Ephesus because uh, that comes into our story of 1 Corinthians because the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians and possibly 2 Corinthians from Ephesus. Thank you very much. This year, uh, we're going to be studying the books of the letters, uh, 1 and 2 Corinthians, uh, letters to the church plant at Corinth. And I want us to first look at uh, the city of Corinth and Paul's first visit there so we get uh, a little background on, on uh, the First uh, uh, and Second Corinthians. Uh, so let's begin here. This is the introduction. Then, then we'll look at First um, uh, Corinthians as well. The Apostle Paul's road to Corinthian is the second missionary journey, and I'm going to take you on that journey. I worked really hard on this, so you need to <laughs> appreciate my work. <laughs> um, so it started off at Antioch. Now you're impressed with that, right? <laughs> went to Tarsus, and then they went to Derby. And then they went to uh, Lystra, and on that first missionary journey, they're, they're going back and looking at some of the churches that they visited that first time. And at Lystra, um, uh, Paul healed a man, a lame man, and, and then they started thinking that uh, Barnabas and, and Paul were gods, Zeus and Hermes. And uh, Paul eventually was stoned because some of the... Uh, some of the people from Antioch um, and from Iconium came and stirred up the crowd. Um, and so uh, he was stoned and left for dead. Um, I would imagine this second visit was a little surprising to some people. Um, here's, here's Paul who was left for dead and he's still alive. Uh, in the second missionary journey, that's when uh, we meet Timothy. At Iconium, on that first missionary journey, um, uh, Jews and Greeks uh, believe uh, the city was divided, um, but there was a threat of stoning there, uh, and so they fled the city. At Antioch, um, on that first missionary journey, there was, there was a long uh, sermon that was uh, recorded in the book of Acts, um, and Paul and and Barnabas went first to the Jews and now to the Gentiles. Um, and I like this statement. It says, those appointed to eternal life believed. Um, the Bible teaches that 
God in eternity past chose those who would come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, so those that uh, were appointed to eternal life believed. And, you know, when we go to the mission field, when we go to our mission field here, um, we can be confident that the Lord has chosen some and uh, that he will bring them to faith. And, uh, and, uh, and the main thing about the missionary journey is the Lord sent them out because he had people there and he had people in Antioch. And they went on to Troas. Um, uh, Paul and Silas intended to go up to Bithynia, go up north, um, but the Lord uh, directed them through a dream uh, to go over to Macedonia, that Macedonia needed help. And so they went through Samothrace and Neapolis and came to Philippi. And at Philippi, um, that's where uh, we have Paul and Silas in jail. Uh, there was a, a woman who was uh, demon-possessed and they cast out the demon and uh, because of that, uh, their owners uh, got uh, upset about that, and they were imprisoned. And then uh, the Philippian jailer came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and you remember that story. And he went through Amphipolis and Apollonia, and then to First Thessalonians. And then they went on to Berea. Uh, and we see that the Bereans searched the scriptures to see if the teaching was true. And many of them believed, uh, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but the Thessalonians, uh, some Thessalonians, arrived and, and caused some riots. So they were sent down to Athens. And that's where, you remember, uh, Paul encountered uh, all these idols and and he saw an altar to an unknown God. And he used that, uh, that, that idol to emphasize that he knew the, known, the unknown God, uh, which of course is the Lord God, the creator of all things. And uh, gave him an opportunity to witness to those that were in Athens there. And some believed in the true God and were saved. Then he went over to Corinth, and in Corinth, we're going to see that he met Aquila and Priscilla. Um, the Jews, uh, when he preached to them, they blasphemed, and so he says, now I'm going to go to uh, the Gentiles. And the Lord said, uh, I have many people in this city, and for uh, the next 18 months, uh, Paul taught uh, the word of God. Here's a map of Achaia. Uh, this is where, uh, and Corinth, you can see on, on the map. Um, a little bit about, about that is when you look right here, there's a little... Isthmus, uh, actually the whole thing is, but there's about, uh, right here, there's a four mile, uh, it's four miles across, you can see it uh, right here, where it gets a little smaller, and um, that's a very important thing. 
the very fact of where they were uh, uh, was important because uh, there were a lot of travelers who went back and forth and would come across uh, next to Corinth or spend time in Corinth. Uh, John MacArthur wrote the following, the city of Corinth was located in southern Greece in what was the Roman province of Achaia, 45 miles west of Athens. This lower part, uh, the Peloponnesus, is connected to the rest of Greece by a four-mile wide isthmus. That's what I was showing you there. Um, Corinth is near the middle of the isthmus, and is prominently, prominently situated on a high plateau. For many centuries, all north-south uh, land traffic in that area had to pass through or near the ancient city. Since travel by sea around the Peloponnesus, if you look at, uh, you know, just going around this area right here, all the way around here, if they had to go around there, that was a long way. And... Um, he, he said, uh, John MacArthur con continued to say, since travel by sea around the Peloponnesus involved a 250-mile voyage that was dangerous and obviously time-consuming, most captains carried their ships on skids or rollers across the isthmus directly past uh, Corinth. Uh, that's, that's a big deal. Uh, their ships couldn't have been as big as some of the ships are today, but... Uh, uh, that was an amazing thing. Um, Corinth understandably prospered as a major trade city. A canal across the isthmus was begun by the uh, Emperor Nero during the first century AD, but was not completed until near the end of the 19th century. There's a couple pictures. This is, you can see there the isthmus. Uh, and um, I'll just show it to you right here. This is that four-mile uh, section right there. And what they've done is, is to build something or craft something that would allow ships to pass through there. Uh, and you can see that that, that construction in uh, modern Corinth, uh, it's a, uh, the canal there, is four miles long. Uh, was started in 1882 and completed by 1893. And it's pretty narrow, it's 70 feet wide, so uh, many ships were, especially today, are, are not able to go through there. So here's an aerial view, and you can, uh, you can see the canal there as well. It's going across this way, right here. That would be a picture of pretty much uh, close to our time uh, today. And so you can see, um, see the canal and you can see where uh, Corinth was. Uh, Corinth would be in this area somewhere. In addition to all of that, uh, there were false uh, religions. Um, this is the uh, uh, temple of, of uh, Apollo, but they also had the uh, temple of Aphrodite. Um, and so the city was in need of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 18 um, 
Uh, in Acts 18, uh, Luke records what happened during the second missionary journey. And so I want you to turn to uh, Acts 18. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read uh, section by section, and, uh, and you can get a good account of uh, Paul's visit to uh, the city of Corinth. So start reading at verse 1. After these things, he, Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, uh, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath in trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And so uh, the Apostle Paul met Aquila and Priscilla, who were of the same trade uh, tent makers. And uh, it appears that he was working a good deal of the, of the time, uh, we'll see in an ver- upcoming verse, uh, and on the Sabbaths he would go and preach. Um, probably he was working to support himself uh, with uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, let's read the next, next few verses, verse 5. But then Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia Paul began uh, devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So when uh, Silas and Timothy arrived uh, with support, it sounds like, uh, Paul was able to completely devote himself to proclaiming to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So it was not just on the Sabbaths, but he's now preaching... um, uh, maybe every day and uh, sharing the gospel uh, with those that were in Corinth. Uh, in here, Second Corinthians eleven nine kind of indicates what I was just saying. Uh, it, this is in the second uh, book of Corinthians, but he says, "And when I was present with you, that was on the first journey, and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone." Uh, and the implication is that he was working, uh, he was making tents. And, uh, for when the brethren came uh, from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need, and in everything I kept myself from being a burden to you, and will continue to do so. So it appears that um, when Silas and Timothy arrived uh, with support, that uh, he was able to give more time to the teaching of the word. So let's read verses uh, 6 through 8. But when they resisted, um, the people resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own, own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and went to the house of a man named uh, Titus Justus, a worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. 
Christmas, the leader of the synagogue believed in the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. I thought that was an interesting uh, thing. When the Jews resisted and blasphemed, Paul turned from the Jews to the Gentiles, uh, first to their next-door neighbor. I thought that was interesting that next door to the synagogue was Crispus. Uh, Titus, no, it was not Christmas, but uh, Titus Justus, and he was a worshiper of God, um, probably connected with Christmas as well, uh, because we see that Christmas came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as well. Uh, So a Gentile worshiper came to God, but then a Jew also, uh, a leader of the synagogue, Christmas, uh, came to God. Let's read on. Verse uh, 9, And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God. So this is the longest time the Lord himself promised Paul's protection and Paul's fruitful ministry. For I am with you, for I have many people of this city. And Paul obeyed by faithfully continuing his ministry uh, in Corinth for 18 years. Uh, This is the longest time spent in any city uh, up to this time. and uh, the, the second only to the longest time which he spent in Ephesus on the third missionary journey. Um, we know that the Lord has had many of his elect in all the cities in, in the missionary journey, but he made an, a point to tell Paul to stay there because he had a lot of people uh, that needed to hear the gospel that would come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, when I look at this, it, it just seems to me that uh, Corinth uh, was the Lord's primary objective for the second missionary journey. Uh, not that uh, any of the others were less than an objective. I'm not saying that. Um, but you remember that when they got to a certain point, they intended to go north. But the Lord said, no, I want you to go over to Macedonia. And eventually they come down to Corinth. And so the Lord is directing uh, Paul and and, uh, Silas on this missionary journey to bring them to the place where he wants them to be. And at this particular time, there was an emphasis on the people of Corinth. uh, And he settled there for 18 months. Let's go back to our passage uh, to um, verse 12. But while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put, put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names of, and your own law, 
Look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. And they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue. He probably replaced Crispus uh, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. Uh, he was not going to rescue them. Uh, here we have the Jews appeal to the civil authorities to stop Paul, who they claimed was breaking Roman law, but their charge was dismissed. One commentator wrote, the Jews charged Paul with per uh, persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the Roman law. Rome did not permit the propagation of new religions. Judaism was an accepted and established belief. These Jews were saying, in effect, that Christianity was a new and different cult, distinct from Judaism. However, Galileo saw it differently. To him, Christianity came under the aegis of Judaism, and therefore was not a matter to be settled by in a civil court. This decision was crucial, for it was tantamount to legitimizing Christianity in the eyes of Roman law. And again, here's a man that was placed in that position um, and used by God, even though an unbeliever, used by God to preserve uh, the uh, ministry of Paul. And it says, so the Jews started beating up Sosthenes, their leader, uh, probably for not getting a conviction. Um, and Galileo didn't seem to care about that. Um, says he was not concerned about any of these things. This is truly the Lord's promise protection of Paul uh, and his ministry, which he promised to do. He has many people in this city, and it was not going to be stopped by the civic authorities who was not going to be stopped by uh, the Jews that were uh, rioting against, uh, against him. Uh, interesting, Sosthenes apparently got saved and became a leader of the church of God. Um, look at 1 Corinthians. Uh, I didn't print that for you. 1 Corinthians 1.1, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. And uh, that most likely is the same one that um, brought, tried to bring a case against Paul, but now he's uh, in Paul's camp and more importantly is in the Lord's camp. Um, so the Apostle Paul was able to complete his 18-month ministry in Corinth and seeing many people, the, the elect of God, come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and establishing the church at Corinth. In the last verse I'll read in this passage is, Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. Um, and it's important that, you, that he mentions that because we're going to see them uh, in Ephesus. So he's going to Ephesus at this point. And um, he's, uh, this is on, still on his uh, first missionary journey. So Apostle Paul then departed from Corinth and went to the city of Ephesus, taking Aquila and Priscilla. So let's look at uh, an introduction to 1 Corinthians. 
And I'll say that uh, more ink is used in writing to the Corinthian church uh, than any other church in the New Testament. Uh, you may say, well, what about Romans? Um, I, I actually uh, did some calculations on uh, the words and pages and and uh, first and first and second Corinthians is 1.5 times the length of Romans, and so there's more written to uh, the Corinthians than to any other church. Um, and for that reason, it's important that we spend time. We already had uh, someone spend time in Romans uh, a long time. Uh, we're going to spend one year in first and second Corinthians. So, so um, let's begin looking at First and Second, uh, First uh, Corinthians. The author of First Corinthians is the Apostle Paul, and we see that in First Corinthians one one through three. Paul, and it, it was common uh, in those days. Uh, in our letters, we put who it's from at the end. In those days, they put it at the beginning. And so Paul, the author, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who are in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the epistle of 1 Corinthians was written during Paul's third missionary journey from the city of Ephesus. And that's why I pointed that out to you when we looked at uh, the third missionary journey. Um, in first, uh, uh, this is uh, evidence that it was written in uh, Ephesus because in 1 Corinthians, at the end of the, chapter, end of the book, he says, But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost." for a wide door of effective service is open to me, and there are many adversaries. And so um, he's telling them at the end of the book uh, that he's in Ephesus, and he's going to be there um, until uh, Pentecost. Probably in the year 55, early part of the year of 55 AD is when this was written. And here's another little evidence as well. Remember I told you about Aquila and Priscilla, or Prisca as she's called here. That's First Corinthians sixteen nineteen. the churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla greet you, hardly in the Lord with the churches that is in their house. And we know that Aquila and Priscilla spent time, they settled in Ephesians, Ephesus. Um, and so that's another evidence that this letter was written for, uh, from the city of Ephesus. Here's 
Here's the outline of 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to give it to you all in one chunk. Um, and I, you can see that uh, at the first four chapters is the introduction plus uh, disunity in the church. And this, this uh, outline comes from John MacArthur, if you're interested in that. And then we talk about the immorality in the church, uh, marriage in the church, liberty in the church, worship in the church, and the hope of the church, of the resurrection, and a charge um, to the church. And I thought it would be, um, I thought it would take a verse out of each chapter just to give you a little feel for it. And what I'd like you to do is turn to 1 Corinthians um, and follow along. I'm going to put the verses up, but I'm going to give you the verse and um, that way you can kind of page through it yourselves and, and you'll, see, you'll see some things yourself uh, as, you, as you do that. So let's do a selection of uh, some of these. And I'm going to do it in the context of, of the outline uh, so you get an idea of, of that as well. So here's in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verses 11 and 12. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, that by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. And so obviously there was um, some disunity in the church that needed to be addressed. And uh, when we get to that passage, we'll go through that. In chapter 2, uh, verses 14 and 15, it says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. Chapter 3. And here's another uh, indication that there was more division uh, and disunity in the church. It says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. And so um, it's, he's explaining that uh, He's, he's not, it's not, all about, not about uh, Paul and uh, Apollos, but it's about God and his work. In chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be, called, be found trustworthy. And we go to the next section, which is immorality in the church, and uh, that's in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6. 1 Corinthians 5 is actually uh, reported that there is immorality among you, and immorality of such kind as does not even exist among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. And as you go on through that chapter, it's a case of putting that man out of the church. That's, uh, we'll see an example of church discipline. And, uh, and actually, 
if you saw the letter that goes when we do church discipline and we have to come to that terrible state of putting somebody out of the church, we send them a letter and we quote part of that chapter, verse 5, if you want to look at it. But it's basically turning them over to their sin, turning them over to the devil and hoping and praying that the Lord will save them. Because uh, that's the purpose of church discipline is, is not to put people out of the church, but to put them out so that they will see their sin. And then uh, the Christians in the church would reach out to them and bring them back. Uh, the purpose of church discipline is always uh, to restore the person. Here we have in chapter uh, 6, verse 15, um, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Next section is uh, marriage in the church, 1 Corinthians 7. In verse 3, it says, uh, The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. And as you go through um, the chapter, it talks about uh, unbelieving spouses and uh, what's required of a husband or a wife. Um, and uh, talks about uh, um, other things related to marriage. Section number four is liberty in the church. And this is eight, nine, and ten. 1 Corinthians 8, uh, verse 9, but take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 26 and 27, therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Um, so even with the Apostle Paul, um, uh, he didn't have, he had certain liberties, but he didn't have total liberty to do whatever he wants. He needed to be careful uh, so as not to disqualify himself. First Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, this is a familiar verse uh, that I think maybe some of you have uh, quoted, uh, learned to quote, memorized. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you may be able to endure it. And we go on to worship in the church, 11 through 14. And uh, verse uh, 3 of chapter 11, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of the woman and God is the head of Christ. And so uh, ultimately the head of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. But even in the Godhead, there is order in the Godhead and the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, uh, his head is the Father. In chapter 12, 
says, by, for by one spirit we were all baptized into uh, one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Um, in this chapter, we, uh, we're going to see some about uh, spiritual gifts. Um, and, uh, but th- this, in this case, is talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is when uh, we as new believers in the Christ are placed into the body of Christ. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, I meant to tell you in chapter 11, it talks about the Lord's Supper. You, know, you maybe saw that along the way. And so... Uh, more instruction to the church on how that's to be done and their abuses of that. And then in chapter 13, um, chap, uh, verse 1, if I, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but ha- do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now you all recognize that as uh, the love chapter. And... Uh, So we will spend some time in the love chapter as well. And then chapter 14, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. In chapter 14, uh, we'll spend some time on uh, the spiritual gifts that the Lord gives to his church and to individuals in the church. And then uh, number six is the hope of the church, the resurrection. Um, This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Um, And we'll spend three weeks in that chapter. I'll show you that uh, when I show you the schedule. And I couldn't couldn't stay with just one or two verses. I needed to uh, give you the whole picture, uh, at least of the first part. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried. That's the proof that he died. And that he was raised on the third day, again, according to the scriptures. And the proof is is that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So he appeared to the apostle Paul. And, and the, obviously the resurrection was important in terms of our salvation. Um, and we see that in these verses, but it goes on to talk about how important it is to us as believers because uh, we will be raised from the dead. We will spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to talk about uh, our resurrection body and so forth. So uh, 1 Corinthians 15, great chapter. And finally, a charge to the church. It's 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be, be done in love. That's the challenge to the church. And, and um, he talks about people in that last chapter as, as he normally does as well.
lastly, I want to talk about our schedule. And if you haven't picked up a schedule, I made a whole bunch of copies of it. Um, and we do that uh, so that you will see uh, what passages we're going to be doing each week. Um, I recommend that you read ahead, uh, spend time, uh, like in this week, this next week, at least spend time in verses 1 through 9 so you're familiar with it. And so when you come to uh, the class uh, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow, next Sunday, uh, if you come tomorrow, they won't be here. But at uh, uh, any rate, um, I highly recommend that you do it. You can even do your own study. You don't need to just read it. Um, it would be very profitable to you and, and to all of us. Um, uh, there are times when uh, other people will be teaching other than myself, and, and uh, I intend to do the same thing, to study alongside of them. And I think we'll get more out of that. Uh, you also see there are eight Sundays that we don't have Sunday school. Uh, there are four of them where we don't have any Sunday school at all. And then we have um, uh, three or four of them that, uh, that where we have combined Sunday school. The three emphasis on December 3rd, uh, that's on Christology. Then again on April 28th on uh, church history. And then the last, uh, very last of the year, August 25th on missions again. And, uh, and then we have one Sunday the conference in February where we won't have Sunday school uh, to study in uh, 1 Corinthians, but uh, we'll have uh, joint Sunday school classes. Uh, so you can see that second, uh, 1 Corinthians goes all the way down to Easter, and then after Easter will be uh, 2 Corinthians. So I would um, I challenge you to use this, the schedule, not just uh, something to hang on the wall, but uh, use that to guide you through uh, the book of First and Second Corinthians. And uh, I, I'm telling you that you'll... Uh, you'll be blessed by doing that, and I would encourage you to do that. So that's First uh, Corinthians, and uh, next week we'll uh, begin our study in First Corinthians. So let me close this in prayer. Our Father, we do thank you for uh, the great and awesome God that you are. Thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, thank you that uh, you send your message out to the world. You sent it out to us. Um, thank you for the truth of the scriptures. Uh, thank you for the truth that the Lord Jesus came and died in our place. He lived the life that we should have lived and then died in our place. And thank you that um, he paid our penalty and we have the benefit of uh, his righteousness before you, a holy God. Father, I pray that you would um, bless us as we go through uh, the epistles of First and Second Corinthians. Uh, pray that uh, that it would be a blessing to each one of us that we would grow in our faith. Uh, help us to understand the importance of learning the scriptures, uh, but also the importance of practicing the scriptures. And as we look at uh, how you uh, built up the home church uh, at Antioch. Uh, as Paul and Barnabas preached to them for a full year to strengthen them. And then they began to send out 
uh, missionaries, Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas, and uh, pray that we would be faithful as a church in doing the same. We pray for um, uh, the church that Dusty's at in Northlake. Uh, we thank you for that, and we pray that you would strengthen them so that they would be able to plant churches as well. Thank you for the missionaries that have gone out from our church and, and, um, and those that are training men to plant churches. We thank you so much for the work that you are accomplishing in, in your church here at, at Countryside. And we pray that you would dismiss us now with your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.